0: Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm your host, Mila Atmos. Each week I speak with citizen changemakers who spark civic engagement in our society. Our guests today are Hannah McCarthy and Nick Capodice. They're the hosts and producers of Civics 101, the award-winning podcast refresher course of New Hampshire Public Radio on the basics of how our democracy works. It is used in many American high schools and has been downloaded millions of times in all corners.
1: Of the world. It is my belief that the most important thing a citizen can do is to understand the system in which she lives. And that can only come from admitting that you don't know something. Uh, and <laughs> in the wake of all of, of the 2016 election, there were a lot of uh, hot takes. It was everybody going on and writing these think pieces with the assumption that everybody knew everything about how our political system worked. And that made people afraid to admit that they didn't know what the chief of staff did or the secretary of defense did. And so um, I think it's one of the most crucial steps is to be willing to say, I have no idea what the people in the House of Representatives do. If you
0: don't understand the system you're in, you can't change it. We'll be talking about the complexity of American democracy, our constitution and rights, and how understanding the system is fundamental to our ability to wield this democracy as best we can. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. It is such a pleasure. Thank you, Mila. Tell us a little bit about how your show was started.
2: So our show was started shortly after uh, the 2016 election. And neither Nick or I were here when the show was first started. That's right. Yeah, the station was getting a lot of questions because suddenly the news is just flooded with more information about what's going on in Washington than possibly had ever <laughs> been before, and people were asking not only questions like "Can he do that?" but also, also, "Who is the Secretary of?" defense what does the State department actually do and one of our producers Logan Shannon wrote on a post-it note schoolhouse rock for adults and shortly thereafter they started churning out what we call you know straight two-way straight interview episodes with a single expert on these various subjects and it was massively popular yeah, by the yeah. way.
1: The, uh, initially, there was an impeachment episode that had hundreds of thousands of downloads. Yeah. And it was just a straight-up interview on these topics. And we were making two a week. Yeah. And I think at this point, we're almost up to like 13 million downloads of all the episodes put together. Hannah and I were asked to take over production of civics 101 and quite quickly we discovered that schools are using the podcast and kids are being forced to listen to it we have to drastically change how the show sounds so we turned it from a sort of single guest show into a more narrative style podcast like you'd hear on other sort of public radio shows and um, we've had great success with it
0: it's very effective in terms of delivering the content and the drama for example with your episode on the convention And, you know, how people really fought about it and the noises of the 1968 convention, I thought that was very effective. So since you started the show, what are the most common questions that you get, no matter what the topic is?
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's a great question. Hannah and I try very hard to make the show nonpartisan, specifically because schools use it and also because, you know, we want to explore systems as opposed to espouse an idea of politics. Uh, Regardless of that, the questions we get are quite closely related to the news cycle. So Mm -hmm. people ask a lot about impeachment. They're asking a lot about executive powers. They're asking about things that happen in the news. Um,
2: Yeah. And this is a a conversation that we're increasingly having. Um, Sort of what is our responsibility? We are fully committed to being this nonpartisan show. However, Is it disingenuous to never put out content that in some way reflects, if not responds, to what is actually going on in the world? And I think that we are becoming a little more comfortable with doing things like an impeachment episode, because what could be more useful to our Civics 101 audience in that moment than the toolkit that will allow you to understand precisely what is going on in the news right now?
0: Yeah, it was a good one. I thought it was uh, really illuminating in terms of impeachment or really about civics in general, what do you think our responsibility is as citizens? Because you get all these questions and it talks about what is a government supposed to do? What, what are we supposed to do?
1: It is my belief that the most important thing a citizen can do is to understand the system in which she lives. And that can only come from admitting that you don't know something. Uh, (laughs) And In in the wake of of, of the 2016 election, there were a lot of uh, hot takes. It was everybody going on and writing these think pieces with the assumption that everybody knew everything about how our political system worked. And that made people afraid to admit that they didn't know what the chief of staff did or the secretary of defense did. And so um, I think it's one of the most crucial steps is to be willing to say, I have no idea um, what the people in the House of Representatives do. I learned about it in school a little bit, but I forgot since then. If we don't go back and re-examine the system that we work in, if we don't start there, then what difference does the rest make? If you don't understand the system you're in, you can't change it. Yeah. What do you think?
2: I think of it less of what is our responsibility and more of how can we empower ourselves. It, it doesn't matter that... We live in a, quote unquote, democracy, right? We live in a republic. But that's another question that we have all the time. Is it a republic? Is it a democracy? But that's another question for another day. Um, But I think it's more that it doesn't matter that these systems exist, that these protections exist, that you have these rights. It does not matter if you do not know how they work and you do not know how to enforce them for yourself. And I think as someone who is not an expert in the field, for me, it has been illuminating. I mean, I'm learning about rights and responsibilities constantly. And really, it's it's the rights part that I feel like people need to focus on because we have to protect ourselves. We have to know how to utilize this democracy because otherwise it doesn't matter that you live here in this country because you will be taken advantage of. I hate to say it, you know, but you will be. You can't trust necessarily that these things will be enforced for you.
1: I I couldn't agree more because when we did our Bill of Rights episode... I got to a dark, cynical place, and I became obsessed with this concept called a tub to the whale, which is the idea that the Bill of Rights were kind of a friffly little afterthought by the framers, and they were put in there to appease people of different states to make sure that nobody was too powerful. And the only reason it became this bulwark of who we are as a nation, our First Amendment, which nobody cared about back in the 1780s, like... It's because people fought for it. It's because people yeah. died for it. It's because people put their lives on the line. It wasn't until the night, like 1920s was the first United States Supreme Court case that had a First Amendment issue in it. The 1920s, so far after our founding. And that sort of speaks to this notion that we became more democratic and more we and more American as the years progressed.
0: Oh, nice. So I have so many questions now uh, that I did not prepare. But the first one here is about, you know, how the system basically, if you don't understand how it works that we're going to get taken advantage of. In terms of the episodes that you've put out, where do you think is the most common gap in the understanding of your audience in terms of like, well, how can I make the government work for me? Why is it that I feel so disempowered? What kind of questions do you get there?
1: I, I think it's not it isn't related to the questions we get uh, as opposed to the response to how we cover our topics. I have a colleague who said to me, there are going to be people out there who dislike your show and will accuse you be, of being a biased show just because you acknowledge the point of women and people of color throughout history. In America's history. Just by mentioning that, just by ex- acknowledging the existence of women and people of color as a facet of our democracy, mm-hmm. we are a left leaning, we are a biased podcast. And every single topic we discuss is institutions such as uh, the institution of slavery, uh, institutions of oppression t- towards women and, and towards women's voices in, in politics. Like every single thing we talk about. Every foundational document. We're talking about the Magna Carta, this comes up. Yeah. And then you explore that uh, just such a massive portion of, our, of who we are, of our American identity, of which everyone is so proud, is ensorcelled with this horrible, peculiar, wretched institution that unfortunately defined us and still continues to do so. Yeah. Do you think
2: so? I do think so. We did a, a series on the life stage. So we did birth, school, work, Marriage. retirement, marriage, and death. In every episode, I would get to a point in my script where I would talk to our executive producer and say, it all comes down to slavery, <laughs> all of it, everything. Everything comes down to slavery and the subjugation of women in this nation. And I I really struggled with that in that particular series. And I I think that it makes people very uncomfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable, especially when you've been raised and taught about these gleaming elements of American democracy that you can really take pride in. When you start to pry them apart and you see the guts, you realize that, in fact, they exist in part because they were built on the backs of people that made it easy for them to exist. Not everything, but many things in this nation were built by taking advantage of people. And I think that's really hard for people to hear and accept? Because you why would you want to when you can think of us as this as this glorious nation? Why would you want to confront that element of the way that our democracy works?
0: So oh, I'll that's on that. really <laughs> interesting, because I think that this country's original sin <laughs> is states' rights. But of course, states' rights is really about protecting slavery in parts and in, not in other parts. And I think people don't think about states' rights in that way. So, That brings me to your comment earlier about democracy and republic. You said that was a topic for another time. But let's discuss it now because I think this is something that people are always wondering. So it would be totally topical for this episode.
2: Well, (laughs) so we live in a a federal system, right? That is what we are at our core. We're a federalist system. We can say that for sure. But the question is, are are we a, a democracy or a republic? (laughs)
1: I equate this to people who say, are humans mammals or bipeds? This is Nick Capodice's opinion, not that of Civics 101 or New Hampshire Public Radio. I think that this argument that people are making online specifically that America is not a democracy, it's a republic, and you should know that. And if you, if you don't know that, then you're a dumb dumb who hasn't read mm-hmm. the Constitution. Um, I think that does absolutely no good. Calling us a democracy has happened by different framers and founders since our founding, and it's been referred to like that. And yes, it's also been referred to as a republic, and we are technically a republic, but we are a representative democratic republican federation mm-hmm. <laughs> We are a whole bunch of things.
2: I think that's why it's important to also to look at our federalist system, right? Because it's like you can say we live under federalism and you can look at it and you can find it in the Constitution, the elements of federalism in the Constitution. However, when you look at how it actually functions in this nation, Mm -hmm. it has vacillated wildly over the years and the practical application of any of these lofty goals. It can never be because we're humans and we're fallible and it's very complicated and you know you you can't have the the perfect ideal realized through flesh and blood it's always going to be some sort of janky version of this lovely notion and that goes for federalism a republic democracy Yeah. yeah yeah it's complicated yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah it's very complicated and that's why your show is so great because it really tries to Unpack everything for your everyday person, like you said, who hasn't done civics since high school—long time we've forgotten. But so, let's talk about your audience. You oh, yeah. have your show in schools. What is your demographic in schools? How old are the kids?
1: So the show has uh, a lot of students, majority high school students, who are, who listen to the show at the at being forced to by their teachers, of course. Uh, and what they've started doing is listening to them in class. Also, a lot of teachers have started to assign our episodes for homework before they do a topic. Like, let's say they're going to do Articles of Confederation the next day in class. My personal favorite is to um, have students who have access to phones in their schools to download an episode and to walk around outside while listening to it and then come together as a class and talk about it. It, um that's, to me, the essence of radio, which is a private thing. I once went to a conference where someone said, reading and podcasts are the last two private things. By the way, if there's any teachers out there who... Um, are interested in working with us on this. We have a a cadre. We're starting a a crew. Uh, So just go to our website and check it out. And uh, we would love to have you be part of the team. Civics101podcast.org. High school teachers and even eighth grade are using using us more because civics is just starting to be demanded in all our 50 wonderful states as sort of like, oh, okay, we need to start doing this. We've lost civic education. We don't teach it as much anymore. Now we got to get back into it because things are crazy right now.
0: (laughs) Yes, things are crazy right now. I totally agree. So aside from the school kids, who is your adult audience? Do you know your data about that?
2: I mean, our largest listenership is in California. We know that. We have listeners all over the world. Mm -hmm. We can see where they're downloaded. What I can say about our adult listenership that really is affirming for me is that when we do get Reviews—they are across the board. I mean, they are from all party affiliations, all persuasions. We have people writing and saying things like, "You know, really good information," but I don't know what all this slavery stuff
1: is about. Or yeah, you I dial mean, back the. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, but no matter what, it seems to be adults who listen because they would really like to better understand how the country works. So I can't necessarily pinpoint it to, you know, people who listen to NPR every day. I'm sure we've got plenty of listeners like that. But we also, I think, have people who have no interest in NPR, but have an interest in th- how the First Amendment actually works.
1: What I love is that we have a significant international audience downloading. Mm-hmm. So And I, I don't think it's just expatriates, but we have a big audience in Germany and the U.K. and New Zealand. Hi, Mom. Um, <laughs> but I think there's people who are interested in how our system works who are not Americans. Uh, Either to be like, how can you guys get it so wrong, (laughs) or your system's really great. Um, But yeah, it's a growing international audience too, which gets me really excited.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I was just speaking to a friend of mine. She is Swedish and just became a naturalized citizen. And so she is going to vote for the first time. So So exciting. And so we were talking about how it works. And she said, oh, that's totally different than how it is in Sweden. I said, yes. <laughs> yes, it's totally different than how it is in Sweden. Said, it's really straightforward. You vote, and your vote gets counted in Sweden. And I said, yes, not here. We have the Electoral oh, College boy. and all this, and, you know, vote in the primary. And so it was really interesting how complicated it actually is when you have never done it before, if you're totally new to the system.
1: Literally, as soon as we're done with this conversation, we are going to go into an edit on an episode on the Electoral College. Like every single thing that we poke our noses into, mm-hmm. we find out that it's got all these layers of complication to it that yeah. are just staggering. Um, we were like toying with the idea of doing a series. We shouldn't call it American versus, but compared, like to be like to look at other nations and yeah. how they do it, and and how we do it, and just sort of be like, oh, that's just just a five minute U.S. versus Indonesia. Yeah. Like, well, how do these governments run, and how do they run differently?
2: I think it would be helpful, actually, in terms of understanding, like using an analogy to better understand something. I think using a comparison like that to better understand something could be really useful.
0: What is really the most surprising thing that you learned personally? Mm. Because it's really not about this moment where you're like, oh, I really didn't know that, but sort of like, oh, this changes everything, the way that I think about this democracy, the way that I think about how I'm voting or how I'm a citizen, you know, something that really was unlocking a door for you?
2: I think I can just give you my most recent example. And it was being in being in a studio tracking the Electoral College episode. Mm-hmm. And was it Alvin Tillery? Yeah. Who was talking about the fact that the Electoral College and our entire voting system was <laughs> in part designed to benefit one party over another. Yeah, Slaveholding states in the South. Slaveholding states in the South. It still does benefit one party over another. And that only about a third of the voting population is affiliated with the party that is most benefited by the electoral college system. And that that's just true. And It's going to it's going to make people angry <laughs> um, that we even say it out loud. But that that was a. A moment for me, I was like, "Wait, what? Still, what? Still?" <laughs> and I have a lot of moments like that. And I gotta tell you, it all boils down to slavery, like I said earlier. Unfortunately, yeah. a lot of them have to do with the the dregs, the things that we have not yet shaken off.
1: What most shook me is this notion that the Bill of Rights didn't actually mean anything until the people had to fight for those rights and those protections people were arrested without warrant every single civil right was broken
2: and it still happens today <laughs> and still today. happens
1: today <laughs> yes. people in the press are were put on boats and sent to other countries uh, until frankly the ACLU came up and get the system of you know having someone fight help you fight for those rights
2: yeah it is not a spectator sport you know it's true it really isn't if you want this democracy to go on being a democracy you got to play the game
0: yeah yes play the game, know the system, understand the rules. Definitely. I agree. If there's one takeaway from your show that you want to share with people or if there's a myth that you want to debunk that people really misunderstand so deeply about American democracy, what would it be?
2: I think I have gone back and forth on the Constitution quite a bit because it was crafted by fallible white men who had to cater to a abhorrent system however in all of our interviews with people who do see all of the cracks in both the founding of this nation and the way that the nation works now you still hear these people who have studied the constitution more than anybody say it's an astounding marvelous beautiful document written by very intelligent people. I mean, it, it's it's something apart, right? It's like a miracle that it ever happened and that it continues to work. And it continues to work in part because it's not perfect, but it is really a feat. It sort of debunked my own myth a little bit. I hope it does for others when they listen to the show.
1: Yeah. i th- I think mine is when I was doing an episode on how a bill really becomes a law. I had always thought senators and and representatives were elected by the people to pass laws and do good and make this country great. And when you look at how the system operates, I was shocked at what a small percentage, fewer than 3% of bills proposed in the House become laws. A bill doesn't have a chance unless it's a bill to, you know, name a post office after a guy or, you know, change and make a national holiday about donuts. It's just bills don't have chances. And the thing that shocked me is that maybe it's not a terrible thing that it's so difficult to get legislation passed in our country. That's the way it was intended. The House is supposed to be the voice of the people and it's wild and democratic and crazy. And they propose a ton of bills and nothing ever gets through. And the Senate's a place for debate and a lot of stuff gets through there, but none of it gets past the filibuster. And uh, it's up to you, dear listener, whether or not you think this is a good thing or a bad thing. But it's supposed to be hard for democracy to happen.
0: Wow, those are really good answers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you. Jeez, yeah, no, that's, It's good. It's good. I think this will make people really think about the way the system works. You both bring so much passion to the show. What is the source of your passion?
2: This job is such a joy. Every single day, I get to learn. I get to speak to the people who are, you know, the foremost experts in the world on things. That's my job to call people up and ask them what they know. And then I get to do my best to kind of dumb it down for people like me and so that other people can understand it. And I I think learning drives me. Understanding every single day that this is a privilege, a rare privilege that I am permitted to and must call up people much, much smarter than me and ask them questions. Pursuit of knowledge. That's what Mm -hmm. drives me.
1: When I was a little kid, this guy named Dave Lawrence from Dallas, Texas, you know, grabbed me and said, Nikki, there's one important thing in life and it's the only thing that matters. And it's that everybody in this world has things in their head that you don't. And your job in life is to get it from their head into yours. And I really clung to that. I think it was like eight years old. I... genuinely think that curiosity is the greatest virtue in the world and just like Hannah said I, I delight in not knowing things and being wrong and finding things out it's just such a joy such a joy to admit ignorance about something but paired with the excitement to learn about it
0: yeah that's what it is curiosity I love it I love to learn I mean I will say that that's also my favorite part about this podcast my own I mean is that I'm always learning and discovering and it's really wonderful Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? Adia
1: Sambiqui. <laughs> yeah. That's who that's what does it. We have a student podcast every a contest every year. We ask students to submit um, short podcasts and we tweak them a little bit and we put it into our feed. We've only done it two times. And the first time we did it, someone in a freshman in high school wrote a radio drama about arguments about Um, representation during the Constitutional Convention. She made a fun radio play, and Hannah and I went down to Springfield, and we recorded it, and we made it into an episode. And this freshman in high school had a far deeper understanding of the Constitutional Concept Convention than I did, and clearly was so excited and hyper-engaged and delightful. And her mom came to the U.S. from Sierra Leone. Like She's a genius. Adia Sambiqui. And that gave me hope for everything, is that this is the generation that's going to be running the country. She's going to be the gosh darn president.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will. I'll totally agree with that. I'll just add to it. In addition to that, I mean, is what I was talking about earlier. The fact that we have listeners from all walks. We've got libertarians, Republicans, Democrats, Green Party. We think we are so, so divided. However despite those divisions, the fact that you can have all of these people who just genuinely want to understand what is going on. Genu- just Just like base level 101, just tell me what's going on. That gives me hope because that is perhaps the unifier that we all want to wield this democracy as best we can. And maybe we're not all going to agree with how we want to wield it, but we all we all want that. We all want it to be the best version of of democracy that it can be. And that can only happen if we understand how it works. Mm -hmm.
0: That's perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mila. Thank you, Mila. This episode is a perfect extension of our conversation with Louise Dubé of iCivics last week, which was about delivering high quality civic education through gaming. As a podcast, Civics 101 is so accessible. The show goes beyond the basics, but doesn't make you feel stupid. They explain how our system works and doesn't work, including the inherent problems with the Electoral College and the lasting repercussions of slavery. I'm encouraged that many Americans are genuinely interested in learning about our government and the rules of the politics game. And I wonder whether a deeper understanding of the system will make us different kinds of citizens, the kind who want to right the wrongs that we face in our society. Next week, our guest is Marcia Johnson Blanco. She's the co-director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers' Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. She's a leader on programs and advocacy on election protection and voting rights. We'll be talking about why voting is an essential piece of infrastructure that supports democracy. It is the primary mechanism by which we make our voices heard. So when you look at democracy, it's. The voice of the people being heard, and here in the U.S., that voice comes through our representatives, and we get our representatives through voting. Voting is a critical part of our democracy, and unfortunately, in this country, we at times make it very difficult for people to engage and have a voice in our democracy. Until next time, stay engaged. I'm Mila Atmos.
1: Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Zumbu. Additional production by Brooke Sayan. Listen to us online at futurehindsight.com or your favorite streaming service.